Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Newism podcast, where we talk to social innovators and disruptors to discover how they would shape a new, more inclusive economic system fit for the modern world. Our guest this week is Pip Wheaton, the director of Ashoka UK, which identifies and supports a network of leading social entrepreneurs who are driving systems change and aims to empower everyone to be a change maker. A social entrepreneur herself, Pip has dedicated her career to tackling inequality and championing social innovation. Today I'm in London and I'm speaking with Pip Wheaton, who is the director of Ashoka UK. We're talking about the newism, what's possible. So Pip, tell me a little bit about Ashoka. What, what's, what's Ashoka's uh, raison d'etre and where did it come from? Right, so Ashoka is uh, an organisation that was started in the early 80s. Uh, when the founder, Bill Drayton, uh, essentially coined the term uh, social entrepreneur uh, because he was recognising that people in the, the social change uh, field, uh, there, were, there were a subset of people who were doing things a bit differently. He wanted to recognise those individuals and celebrate them and to essentially help them understand their work in a different way. Uh, and so ever since then, uh, for more, more than 35 years now, uh, Ashoka has been sort of most famous for the fact that we go around the world and we find these incredibly innovative uh, entrepreneurial change makers uh, who are trying to create change in a really systemic way, in a really um, sustainable and sustained way. Uh, and we call them Ashoka Fellows. And, and do you support the Ashoka Fellows? And yeah. If, and if so, how do you do that? Yep. So the so we've got over three thousand five hundred around the world now that have been elected, uh, and we support them in really different ways. It's a very unique program in that it's a, a fellowship for life, which means that there's no one thing that a social entrepreneur is going to need for the entirety of the course of their their life, uh, and so it's a very tailored, customized support that's really responsive to the needs of the social entrepreneur wherever they are in their journey uh, after they've become a, an Ashoka Fellow. So sometimes that's uh, the, the most valuable support is actually just the recognition. So the fact that Ashoka has this incredible uh, reputation in the sector for doing this really deep, intensive due diligence on, on all of the Ashoka Fellows means that other people in the sector know that, that this is a social entrepreneur who's having real impact and who has integrity and ethical fiber um, and that they are worth backing. Uh, and I know for, for me personally, I became an Ashoka Fellow before I joined the team here. And I know for me that actually it was that, that recognition that was the thing that was most valuable. Uh, whereas for others, they've maybe got more of a track record by the time they become a, an Ashoka Fellow. Uh, and so the thing that, that's more useful is sort of the, the connections that can be made or the really specific sort of support. So if there's a crisis, perhaps Ashoka will come in and, and help somebody through that crisis or if they start a new venture or on succession planning. And so it's, it's really varied. No, oh, it's, it's really interesting. And, and do, you, do you kind of publicise collectively what the Ashoka Fellows are doing as well? Our website uh, has all of the profiles of fellows sort of from when they were elected. And so it's almost like a snapshot in time. But increasingly, as an organisation, we're realising that we sit on a huge amount of um, actual data, but also potential data, uh, just by virtue of the network that we sort of sit in the centre of. 
Um, and so we're increasingly doing things like research into what are the different trends that are emerging in a particular region or on a particular social issue or challenge um, and trying to aggregate some of those, some of the, the different approaches and see trends and, and sort of um, share that knowledge with different stakeholders or you know, share it publicly. So where we're coming from is that the current economic system isn't fit for purpose, doesn't work anymore. A lot of people seem to know that, even people who are kind of in the middle of it. Um, and they will talk about change, but they'll actually just talk about changing the current system a little um, or tinkering at the edges with them. But basically, they're talking about it's the system. What we are saying is, no, the system's not fit for purpose anymore. We need a new system. And we're speaking to people, a lot of whom are social entrepreneurs, because they're the people who are actually out there walking the walk, doing it. And not only are they just doing project work, but, you know, as you say, they're taking it to scale. They're trying to get it more systemic in terms of what they're doing. But they're, they're also creating new sectors, so things like concepts like fair trade, like microfinance and so on, and, it, and showing that there's potentially a new way of doing finance or, or trading or whatever. Um, and our, our view is that maybe some of these are the kind of building blocks to your new economic system so microfinance might be a way of doing banking in future all banking fair trade might be a way of doing all trade um, and that makes the world a better fairer place um, so I'm just interested in your view about where social entrepreneurs sit then and potentially are are they just simply tinkering around with the current system doing very good work working 24 7 um, but they're largely on their own, they have little resources, their impact is local, but we're not getting a, a, a huge systemic change. And indeed in my area where I work, which is in homelessness, I think the work we do is pretty impactful, but we move some people on or are unable to get into, into some housing or, or jobs, but then there's a whole lot more people come and it, and it becomes like the, the penny drops, it's the system, stupid. What's your kind of take on all of that? Uh, I think you're hitting the nail precisely on the head. Uh, so I think that uh, for a lot of social entrepreneurs, you know, because uh, and Ashoka Fellows in particular, that we, that we're finding people who are committed to a problem, are committed to a problem for life. I feel like for a lot of people, you get uh, deeper and deeper into understanding the problem that you're trying to tackle. And the more you realize that the the problem itself isn't, uh, an isolated issue that can be solved with a, you know, a simple fix, with a simple tweak around the edges. I think that, that most social entrepreneurs um, who, who we work with increasingly realise that actually there's a much bigger system at play. Now, the, the Ashoka Fellows in particular, we, we choose them based on their uh, desire to have systemic impact. Uh, and so we, we're obviously working with a with a biased sample, but um, I mean, I know I, speaking personally, I think that every time I dive into any of the issues that we uh, work with people on here at Ashoka, I increasingly think that, the, or increasingly find myself sort of coming up against a brick wall, which is like we could have like the most innovative, the smartest solutions to this particular problem, whether it's homelessness, as you were working on, or whether it's healthcare or education or uh, 
disability that you know that the list is endless but if we are not actually fundamentally changing the economic system that all of us operating we're going to be constantly fighting against misaligned incentives and so i think that what you're trying to uncover is something that is incredibly important um the social so you also talked about um the sort of our social entrepreneurs all aligned i think it's sort of at the risk of getting a little bit technical it depends on how you define social entrepreneur so uh the the original um intent behind bill uh, ashoka's founders ashoka's founders uh idea when he was talking about social entrepreneurship was essentially somebody who is trying to shift a system so not trying to come up with a quick fix solution or a a, a solution that's going to address a symptom of a problem but something that's going to actually create um change that that will shift the entire way that a system operates. Now that doesn't have to be a a global system, it can be a local system, but it's a different way of thinking about a problem. Uh however in, in sort of common parlance the way that people uh have adopted and sort of adapted the term social entrepreneur and social enterprise is around one of uh businesses that also have a social impact. Now, I I think that both of these concepts are incredibly valuable mm-hmm. but I think that social businesses that have a social impact aren't often the ones that have systemic change. I think the the existence of social businesses and social entrepreneurs with that sort of um business model type definition applied to them, I think that they are in and of themselves an indicator of a systemic change around how we do business. And so that excites me, but I think that a lot of the social businesses that come about are are very much just tinkering at the edges of of the social change or the social problem that they're trying to address. So so in a nutshell what you're saying is some good businesses out there that do good practice, some of them social enterprises who are, you know, sustainable so they don't need any grants and but they're recycling all 100% of their profits back into their business and it's got social purpose and so on and so forth. and there's an increasing number of those and that has to be a good thing but there's still it's still a drop in the ocean compared with the the big corporates that run the world the big businesses in cities and so on and so forth um and 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 the other thing you're seeing is the kind of the definition of social entrepreneurs is around leadership in terms of communities is that right Yeah, that I think that's a really interesting way of putting it because the way that we think about social entrepreneurship I I don't know if that's uh I don't think I articulated that very well uh when I was saying but I think you're absolutely right there is something about the when you're thinking about a social entrepreneur that uh that there is a an embeddedness in a community there's a, a rootedness in a community and a deep understanding of the problem that they're trying to tackle um that allows them to then create more systemic change which i think is a a form of leadership so yeah um, i mean for me in terms of an economy and and the the great economists of the past are the ones that influenced us people like adam smith or karl marx it doesn't matter where your politics are but the one of the the things that's 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 common to them is they start off not necessarily talking about money they talk about values this is what they see um adam smith in particular um although he's often seen as the kind of founder of, of of capitalism perhaps he was he wasn't coming at it in terms of the way capitalism is viewed now and people make lots of money he he wanted to use money as a way of improving society actually it it seems that 
in terms of the social entrepreneurs, the people identified by Ashoka, actually, first of all, they have a set of values and those values could be applied to a new economicism and on the back of those or on the basis of those values then grow your economic system. Is that something you think is right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the, the trends that we see coming through from the, from the fellows, from the Ashoka fellows is, um, and not all, not all Ashoka fellows do this, and I don't think that this is a necessary criteria, but it's one that, that we're really working on and have sort of um, been really taken with at, at Ashoka. And that's around putting the individuals who are affected by a problem or who are closest to a scenario, a, a context, um, in charge. So sort of the way that we think about it at Ashoka is around um, people becoming change makers or people being change makers. Um, so sort of the, the classic example that, that we see from a lot of the Ashoka Fellows is, um, you know, if you're working with young people and in sort of the field of education in its broadest possible definition, um, the majority of Ashoka Fellows working in those fields, they put young people in charge. Yeah. Um, we see similar things with, um, you know, people who are working on the topic of homelessness. Okay, so let's actually put the people who are going through a period of homelessness in charge of their own context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I think in terms of that, bringing people forward and creating change makers is something I think is very alluring about Ashoka, this mm -hmm. whole notion that we all can be change makers, because basically what you're doing is empowering everybody mm -hmm. kind of thing, which I think is a, is, is, is a good con concept. But then I would probably challenge and say, okay, changing to what is, is the question. And it's, okay, if we, if we all had blank bits of paper, what would the economy look like then? So we didn't have to be change makers anymore because actually we've, we've, we've created it. So one of the criticisms I might have of myself as a social entrepreneur or other social entrepreneurs is where's the exit strategy? So if we, if we are tackling a particular problem, uh, say homelessness, for example, some people I think are just ma what I would call managing the problem. So it's not that bad people are thing. It's maybe they're making sure people are warm and fed and so on and so forth. I have a problem with that, particularly in some extreme circumstances. But the issue is how are you ending it? Mm. And um, so there's no homeless people at all, ever. How do you put yourself out of business? <laughs> so how do you put yourself out? There's not enough discussion around that yeah. because I think we don't, we haven't got, got on to what it is we're changing into yet collectively so that we will all, we're all in our own little silos to an extent. And Ashoka has done a great job at trying to kind of create this network. But I think we're still in a silo because for whatever reason, we have little resources, we are focused with huge, we are confronted with huge problems. So we just have to focus on that and the rest of it's just, I call it kind of noise around the place. So you just, you know, have a chat with it, some other Ashoka uh, uh, fellow and it's great. And then you go back to your day job, as it were, and you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't look up upwards. Um, so it's, a, it's a, this question of how do you, how do we bring all this collective knowledge mm -hmm. and an actual practical, really fantastic practical delivery that's working together into some kind of theory that, 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 that would work for us. Is, is, is kind of where we're coming from. That's what we're hoping you're going to do, Mel. Is that... Well, uh... well what, we're, what we're saying... No, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that... I mean, if we... 
I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if we had the answer because I would be going, I have the answer. <laughs> no, I know. Here's the book. Here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the video. Um, but, but what I am convinced of, though, is that um, collectively, in amongst it all, that there's little crocks of gold. If you can pull them all out somehow, put them, to, put them together, the answer's there. Now, it might not be us that, that, that come. It might be some kind of very clever person who comes along and goes, oh, put it all into this order and you've got it. Here's the framework and it's a two-by-two two matrix yeah, and it's got yeah, it. No. Yeah, so yeah. what we're trying to do in this debate around newism is to kind of talk to people who are doing things such as yourself, talk about values, talk about what things look at, to really, really find out what's going on kind of coldly. So that's, mm. that's, that's, that's where we're at. And the conversations we're having with people are, are incredibly positive. Mm. So there's so lots of good things going on and it's just such a shame because you're kind of going, actually, you know what? Maybe there's enough crocs of gold around. We put that together, but somehow we're not we're not we're not knitting it together. No, and I totally agree. And it's one of the things that I I mean, and this is sort of less from the Ashoka um, official perspective and more just from my own personal perspective. Um, it's like, how do you actually create? opportunities for people to step out of their own organizations and uh, sort of rise above that as it were um you know there's so much talk within the social change sector or whatever social entrepreneurship sector whatever whatever you want to call it around you know collaboration is good and we need people to collaborate and come together but it's like the reality is that the incentive structures are still such that people need to unless they are incredibly well funded they need to go out and they need to you know bring in the money somehow funding, that funding, yeah. and whether that's bec- you know if they have a, a self-generating funding model you know a business model that is um entirely sustainable without donations or whether it is donations or like whatever their business model there is still some engine that needs to be fueled that is their organization and that then comes with a whole lot of, you know, obligations that they need to to meet. And I think that one of the things that we're seeing um, increasingly is the brokenness of the funding sector. Yeah. But even that still fits within the the old the economic old model. Yeah, model. Yeah. So it's like we we really want to do a lot of, and we're we're starting to embark on this looking at so what would a, a less broken version of the funding system look like but even then yeah it's it's recognizing that that even if we were to do a fundamental like sector like systemic shift within the funding sector um it's still reliant on philanthropy which comes from individuals who are at the highest levels of the you know inequality of the of the world um, or from corporates who are making massive amounts of profit, um, which then fuels the same system. So it's 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 tricky. Yeah. So so but what you're describing then really is the relationship is one of kind of uh, the, the the sector still whether it likes it or not just becomes beggars or remains beggars, and the people they're trying to get money out of them, and then they're doing that through their um, marketing or sales yeah. approaches, however they may be. Um, but because you have that relationship of, of being the beggar, so mm-hmm. you adopt that kind of attitude, which is is not constructive, probably. The massive power imbalances that come into play, and yeah, that's that in and of itself isn't 
I, I, I believe, isn't a way to create change. But, but there, are, there are attempts at this. I mean, I, I kind of believe that the, that the value of some of the social entrepreneurs that are around and what the, the impact they're making in society, you can actually put a, a financial measure on that, which is considerably more than the money that they're getting. Mm. So it, it's almost like what we need to do is, is change the measurement matrix. So, the, you know, you could say that there's an entrepreneur who started a business and it's profit making, but, but the, the actual value to society of that business is a lot less than a, a social entrepreneur who's, you know, tackling the environment or tackling to exclusion from schools or whatever. And then, because you change that measurement matrix, this society views things in a different way. So they're, they're investable models that are created. Yeah, so things like the true cost accounting practices, which try and, or anything that tries to put a figure on the externalities, positive and negative, of all sorts of businesses, whether they're social businesses or whether they're extractive, you know, the most extractive uh, commercial entities. I think that's that's a really interesting movement. I have questions about how do you make those types of things that put values on on all of these um, sort of monetary values or other types of values on on all of these things that currently aren't recognised. It's like, what do the vested interests in the system? Um, how do they react to that? And how do we make sure that um, that those types of things gain traction enough traction that they can uh, overcome the barriers that will inevitably be put in their way by the, the vested interests who will lose out when those things come into play. You know, it's like, I'm going to paraphrase this badly because I always paraphrase things badly, but um, there's a, a saying that's something like, if you have experienced privilege all your life, equality feels like oppression. Yeah. Um, so what happens when a company who's never had to pay for their environmental externalities all of a sudden has that recognised on their balance sheet. They're going to fight it. Oh, and under the current system, they're certainly going to, to fight yeah. it. If you created different measures, though, mm. which, which rewarded company or big companies that, that, that are doing well in terms of the environment, and, and at its simplest form by, by tax receipts or, or mm. whatever, then that's how you begin to create change of attitude I think hmm. and that's sort of when it people begin to understand that it's for the good of the wider community but it, but it seems that currently at the moment the way things are structured is actually the whole incentive is to reward the shareholder or the owner to the maximum regardless so that for example the the the, the law around pension funds is that you've got to maximise your return for your mm -hmm. people who've invested in your pension. Those pension funds are invested into big corporations and they'll be the people who are telling the big corporations you've got to maximise your profit. Mm -hmm. The CEO and owners of that company, they'll be driven by that institutional investment. So if you, if you follow back in some way, then it's, it's us who mm -hmm. have pensions who are saying to our brokers or oh, by the way we want to maximize the return so it's the you can see there just in that little example it's the system it's the mm -hmm. whole system exactly 
actually feeding off itself and then to change it, you've got to change your way you do your pensions, you've got to change profit motive, you've got to change the value system at the top of the big companies in terms of what they're about. I mean, and, and one, I mean, my mind immediately goes to like, okay, and so what's one sort of step further below that if you think about sort of root cause analysis? It's like, well, it's the fact that we don't have a strong security system, security net, as it were, mm-hmm. for people post-work age. Um, okay, so where does that come from? Okay, so either it could be provided by government or it could be provided by stronger family systems. Okay, where does that come And so it's sort of... And then the system gets even larger. So yeah. then we're talking about a system of how do communities form? How do we take responsibility for each other? And it becomes well beyond just the, the financial system. Absolutely. And that's where we are looking at this kind of the value. Mm. So in this, in this modern world, one of the issues that's come to other people we speak to a lot is this kind of contradiction between yeah, needing to scale on the one hand, they scale globally, so big time, got to go for this, we've got something that works, be it the financial model or, or wherever, so hey, let's get this to scale. And there's a kind of moral pressure on that correctly. On the other hand, it's maybe this is the wrong thing to do. We should actually all be concentrating on local communities and however, whatever that means. But there's the local communities rather than nations uh, or, 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 or global that are actually key to making us happier um, and when we're happier you know actually those values and so on then we can have an economy we can build on mm. those, those sorts of things so those are the challenges so exactly are you, are, you, are you more if I was to say to you if you were running and you've been a social entrepreneur you're running your own social enterprise in South Africa so, you know, where were you on all of this? Was it, was it about, like, you know, we've got to grow, we've got, we've got to, there's an imperative in terms of the people we are serving. So we've got to get to as many people as possible. Or were you, or are you saying, no, it's about quality in our community and community is key to the, how we live our lives. I felt that tension massively and it was part of the thing that I think, um, one of my occasions of burnout uh, I think one of the things that caused me to burn out was this feeling of like okay so uh, we were working with young people uh, all around South Africa I was like okay there's a, an absolute urgency uh, for young people in South Africa to uh, have an opportunity to lead change themselves in their local communities and that was sort of the, the fundamental premise of it and it's like, so if that's the fundamental premise, it's about essentially igniting a spark in a young person so that they themselves drive change locally. Mm-hmm. So that's local, hyper, hyper local. All the way to like, okay, but there's an imperative for us to then scale that nationally and then internationally. It then, it creates really interesting tension in like, how do you then maintain the values of an organisation? How do you talk about sort of um, simultaneously, like standardizing programmatically, such that you can reach economies of scale. I mean, scale. The concept of scale for me is so fascinating, um, and how it's come to be such a popular topic. Um, and sort of that we've fetishized it within the. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not just in the social impact sector, but also in the um, commercial sector. Um, yeah. So how do you how do you standardize so that you can reach economies of scale when Actually, standardization is 
the almost antithesis of social change. It's like there are very few models that actually um, where a, a social problem is identical from one context to another. So why would you think that a solution could be identical from one context to another? Some can, but they're, they're in the minority. Yeah, you know, I know. I agree with you very much in my experience working with homelessness. It's, it's the same kind of issue. First of all, you've got homelessness manifests itself in every country in the world now, in the richest of course. But um, there are slightly different cultural changes. So being, be, I would always say being excluded like that is it, horrendous and that's the same the world over. But it then depends on the attitude of the public towards you, the, the, the attitude of government, business, media, etc, etc, and just kind of availability of things like food and so on and so forth. And, and so they're all slightly different. So actually there isn't one solution, but there'll be certain parts of them will have a solution always so if you say more people are excluded then they can um, uh, there's a way of, of talking to them in a psychological sense any way you are at um, so there's some things that are kind of global and other things that are very local but I, I'm experienced with you as well it's it's when you start to look at the world it does kind of blow your mind in a sense so you're working away locally quite happily and then all, all of a sudden the numbers have got three knots on the end, or four knots, and it's, it's almost too much for you to comprehend. So maybe we're being, the, the social entrepreneurs I'm talking about, there's just too much to be put on us. It's, it's one individual or a group of individuals only do so much. And maybe then the, our job as social entrepreneurs say, well, this works here, so I'll share it with somebody else to, take it on I mean I don't know what do you, what do you... yeah absolutely I mean it's one of the things that um, okay so the I said sort of looping back to something I said earlier which is like that I find that idea of scale fascinating so when I was a social entrepreneur myself and running my own organization I didn't have and it's coming back to what you said as well like I didn't have the capacity the time the mental and emotional energy to separate myself far enough from the day-to-day of my organization to think about the whole system and uh, how to change it. Um, I mean, I was you know, uh, also trying to, sort of a disclaimer is that I was, I'm not from South Africa, but I was working in South Africa and and I was very conscious of my, um, my sort of lack of, uh, insider knowledge of the of the context and so I was very much trying to, to be conscious of that at all times and so what that meant was that I was I was way too focused on my organization to be able to actually think about what the the right way to fully shift the system and so coming to, and, and, and was simultaneously being pressured to, to scale, to scale, to scale by funders and by supporters and by all sorts of people, completely well-intentioned and because they saw value in what we were doing. It was only once I actually got to Ashoka and um, saw a lot of the work that uh, some of the different teams have been doing within, within the organisation, working with Ashoka Fellows all around the world and sort of aggregating the the sort of the positive deviance is sort of the way that I like to think of it. Like who actually is creating 
uh, a scale of their impact, not just a scale of their organization. So who's actually taking the, the principles that can be common in different contexts and, uh, and getting them to spread? And one of the, and we, we, the, the organization came up with a, a program that we called the Globalizer Program. Um, and one of the key principles of this idea of scaling your impact rather than your organization is about being open. So essentially allowing your idea, being like letting go of control enough, being open enough that your idea can be taken up by other people, can be used um, by individuals, by organizations, by governments, by companies, by basically being so committed to the idea of the impact and, and creating a solution to the problem rather than uh, being committed to growing your organization that you, maybe it's at the detriment of your organization even, um, but, but that's the way that, that we see most commonly is the sort of one of the keys to, to creating systemic change. Yeah, so, so that's a crucial component to me about this in terms of the way the social enterprise, social entrepreneurs are, it's about impact. There's an obsession these days with measuring everything out there. And I mean, I, I, when I was doing more social entrepreneur, I used to get absolutely fed up with it because everybody would come and want to measure stuff. And I would go, well, we can measure it. But, but actually, you're just measuring something. If you're measuring a homeless person, you're not actually making a not homeless by continually measuring. And then, then what I kind of is kind of measurement police, kind of measuring everything all the time. But at the same time, you do have to kind of, if we're going to talk about impact, and impact is going to be a key part of a kind of new-ism, if you like. What's the impact? Um, we are going to have to create some form of measures, though, aren't we? We can't just kind of say, no, hey, look, we're doing it, just go away, we know what we're doing. Um, yeah, agreed. <laughs> so that becomes a crucial part of going forward, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think it's it's almost like for for me the whole conversation about impact and measurement and um, you know, all of the different uh, sort of frameworks that that people apply to that. For me, it's a question of um, not doing those things to please somebody else. It's doing those or to like tick somebody else's checklist. Um, it's it's about okay if we are going to dedicate our time, energy, lives to shifting something how will we know and if the if you can honestly answer that question then that's great but to honestly answer that question you need hard data because you know we're, we're not actually wired as human beings our, our brains are you know as Dan Ariely says you know predictably irrational <laughs> um, and there are so many examples of, of very well-intentioned superficially sounding very compelling ideas that have been proven to have zero minimal or even negative impact on the the problem that they're trying to to solve and so i i think that there is something really important about measuring the change but i don't think that again we talk about sort of the social change sector i don't think that the social change sector particularly driven by funders is necessarily asking the right questions and so i think we end up you know, spending huge amounts of time measuring the wrong things. Yeah. So that connects to another question I have for you as, as we can move forward. It's been said to me a couple of times that there's too many charities around, that actually, you know, 
and there's a whole lot of kind of administration to, you might include unnecessary measurement going on so there's all sorts of people uh, wandering around you almost can call it a kind of um you know a poverty industry is another way people describe it so there's poverty and there's all this kind of industry around it too many charities i mean then you look at a country like china for example who has a completely different view i think there's i might be wrong about this but there's kind of three registered charities there or something like that and they are they are uh, philosophically against charity because they believe in the role of the state the state is, is has a, a role in social protection the social protection of its people and that's done by government now I'm, I'm, you know, in terms of the newism going forward again in the, in this sector, you know, I'm, I ask the question, right? Indeed, are there far too many charities around in, in Western Europe, um, UK and US, and and actually how effective are they? And actually, if they weren't all there, and you had one one organisation doing it, would they be much more effective? And so on. So, and and the, and the Chinese um, situation is interesting as well because they might well be much more effective. Um, in terms of tackling some of these issues which are global uh, than other countries. I Yeah, I think it's such a fascinating conversation. Uh, it's uh, So I've got a couple of things I'd, I'd sort of respond to that with. One is um, I think that the we are seeing more and more charities um, be open to the idea of mergers, which I think is only a positive thing. They're incredibly difficult even in the commercial sector. They're even more difficult in the, the sort of the social impact sector because there's not the profit motive at the end of the day and everybody is so attached and passionate to their way of doing things yeah. and their yeah. identity and, and all of the rest. But even so, there are increasing number of success stories around mergers happening. Um, and you know there are a, a number of Ashoka Fellows just even here in the UK who've done them recently and it's been incredibly impactful. And I think that's positive because it does then allow for sort of the strongest organisations to take the strongest of what they do and combine them and, and serve even num- even greater number of people even more effectively. Now the flip side of that is that not, again, sort of coming back to that issue of scale, not all social problems uh, are most effectively solved by having centralized approaches. And so unlike in sort of a manufacturing or a, a sort of context or a highly commercial sort of uh, company, you don't always get economies of scale by having larger organizations doing the stuff. Sometimes actually the most effective way of doing things is huge numbers of very small, very local organizations that are totally grassroots. Um, and so I think that there's, uh, I do think that there is a challenge of there are, there's massive duplication and I don't think that there's enough talking to each other and enough combining of the best practices, absolutely. But I also don't think that necessarily the solution is, um, in all instances, to just have one organisation that is the only one solving a problem. You know, it, is, it is a fascinating area when you kind of get into it because it's all about kind of how, how it's most most effective if you're tracking social problems. So, I mean, in this new blank blank bits of paper economy, do do we have a charitable sector? Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, oh no, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think so. I, you wouldn't, would you? Because we actually no. we've created an economic system which is fair for everybody. So therefore, it's it's operating. So does that go towards? Are we are we talking about creating a system that's nearer the Chinese model then? 
So I think we're talking about creating a system that has uh, safety nets for everybody and that it's not, those safety nets aren't available uh, only by virtue of, you know, were you born into a, a fortunate circumstance, whether that's financially fortunate or, you know, so from a social network perspective, fortunate. Um, and I think that then creates a level of resilience within communities that allows them to be more uh, connected and for people to do more. Um, and I think that it's got uh, enough checks and balances that currently are being provided by a subset of the, the charity sector such that the, the system is self-correcting. Um, I think that's really difficult because at the moment, you know, that's one of the sort of the functions that like advocacy organisations play or mm. um, uh, campaigning organisations they, you know, they, they will point out the problems in the system and they will shout about them. And so I think that is a role that would still need to be, to be held, but that shouldn't be by, you know, dependent on, you know, the, the goodwill of, of others that should be built into the system. Um, and I think if both of those two things are there and there's a level of equality, like that the system creates equality, I don't think you should need a charity sector. You know that, that that will be the ideal yeah. place place to be. You're going to tell us how to get there, right? <laughs> uh, no, um, t together, hopefully, we're, we're going to come up with some some way of doing it. But certainly, you do get into all these kind of um, morally difficult positions. I mean, it's always sometimes been described to me as you know, social entrepreneurs in particular will go where there's a social market failure. Mm -hmm. So you something's not working, be it homelessness or or education or whatever and then social entrepreneurs will pop up going right I, I'm going to get into this and sort it out but I always remember um, I'll tell you this little anecdotal story so I was involved in starting the biggest show in Scotland in 1993 and we just started and um, there, were, there was a kind of established charity sector there and some good people in it but one of them said to us um, who gave you permission to do this so it was like they were saying where did you come from and we almost don't like you being here. We were kind of saying, how dare you ask us the question? How dare you ask us that question? We've come in here and, hey, we've got all these guys selling magazines and we're getting getting them a kind of new life and blah, 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 and go away kind of thing. <laughs> we don't want, to, don't want to, to speak to you about this sort of thing. So t time goes by, we're successful. We, we kind of are aware of these other charities. We talk with them occasionally. Then the government um, came along and said we're going to have this task force we the government are setting our task force because we want to end homelessness in, in Scotland and we want you to take part um, so so it, we were a bit reluctant or I was kind of uh, nominated to go from our side but we didn't want to do it wasn't really concerned about it but then okay agreed that we would and then then we got involved in a in, a, in some really good discussions I mean it was excellent the government initiative was was really really good and they uh, consulted homeless people, homeless charities, businesses, different agencies of government, you name it, and came up with a, with a, with a plan that, 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 that was really good that we were all signing off on. We were going, no, actually, you know what, if we all do X, Y, Z, um, then you're going to get a solution here. Really? And, and yeah, so that was the good news bit. So then I found myself, and this was the bit that kind of, you know, the, and it kind of contradictory because... One of the things we'd agreed was that um, we, we, we didn't want to see big hostels in Glasgow. They, were big, they had big kind of Dickensian hostels and our line was we need to kind of basically blow them up and have smaller units and do things in a different way. 
So just after we did that, you know, kind of there was some publicity around the, 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 the outcomes of the task force. These people in Glasgow said, uh, announced that they were going to, uh, you could even call them social entrepreneurs. They'd worked out a way in which they could get money from rents. They're going to have this big building and they're going to put the homeless people in it. To which I found myself saying, and who gave you permission to do that? So, so you went full circle. So I come full circle. But the point is there, I'm trying try to illustrate, was that, you know, in, in the first instance there, we came in disruptors and we would say we were pretty good in terms of what we did actually. Uh, other people might disagree, but we've, we have some evidence to show that. But actually, if you're going to get around and everyone's going to agree to a strategy, which is what would happen, you don't need other people coming in other charities or other people coming in because you're completely messing up the, the strategy. So there's a kind of contradiction there about, okay, when when, when, when you need the, the disruptors, the social entrepreneurs who, who come in and market for you, how do you identify it? As against, how do you regulate then people who are going to, to, to join in the sector? And I, and I think that that's an interesting area because in some instances you can imagine government going, no, everything's okay. And it's, and it's not. And it's not okay. Exactly. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, we don't, you don't need disruption. So that's another area, I, I think, at the moment where you've got the encouragement, almost Ashoka does it, I, would, I do it, we say, go and be a change maker. Mm. And then you kind of say, well, hold on a minute, but, 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 but don't do that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the system's actually counter- perfect now, stop changing it. Yes, <laughs> it's counterproductive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and it's a really interesting tension, um, you know. And in the ideal world, the uh, this in this new ism, uh, there will be a, a way for the for the system to hold itself to account, um, you know. And you say that social entrepreneurs come up with their social market failures. Well, ideally, in the the new ism, there will be no market failures because uh, social market failures because that's the idea but yeah. uh is yeah, well, that is that naive and idealistic in an ever-changing world well, well um is that asking I, too much of it well i think i think in in terms of setting up the what what the newism would be i think we have to be naive actually i think i think we have to kind of uh, be ambitious and kind of write down kind of what our vision is and that doesn't mean we will we'll be naive uh, I, I i think but just because you're naive doesn't mean you can't achieve something. So if we're kind of saying we want to create this world, a much fairer world, okay, it might be a bit naive, but maybe we could achieve it, you know. I love that. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. We, we, we nearly finished. We could talk for a long time about this. <laughs> we could probably talk for hours, yes. Um, you know, in terms of where you're coming from, in terms of Ashoka, uh, yourself and whatever, I think you would be all kind of subscribing up to a newism so keen to get people to get involved and hear their voices and then hopefully we'll combine these little crocs of gold and then we'll create the, the newism so um it's been really good talking to you and and we'll, we'll come back and talk some more i'm sure brilliant thanks mel as the director of an organization that supports the work of social entrepreneurs and a social entrepreneur herself Pip has a fascinating perspective on how we can forge a better, fairer system. Please do share your thoughts about the episode with us via Twitter at Newism Talks or via our website, newismtalks.com. Next week, we're talking to David Gregg, playwright and artistic director of the Royal Lyceum Theatre in Edinburgh. We hope to see you there.